check, check, it works. What do you know? Um, we are going into the book of 2 Kings this morning. Uh, I hope you have been following along with us, whether, in, um, uh, whether you've been listening to the audio or you've been here in person with us. Um, it has been a joy to travel through the scriptures thus far. In my Bible, we've made it 336 pages. That's how far we've made it in my Bible. So um, that's a lot of pages, and it's been a lot of study, a lot, a lot of study. Um, as we uh, continue today, I want to, um, as I said, we've got this, this visual here for us. I don't expect you to read this from where you're sitting, uh, but I'm going to reference this because it's a timeline in my mind, okay? I'm working on building a little bit bigger one for us to be able to see in this place, maybe a digital one we can like scroll on the screen or something. Um, but as we, uh, so if you're, if, you're, if you're listening to the audio, sorry, you didn't see this. Um, but we've got a, uh, this, this first part right here is, is all of 1 Kings to this blue line. And the rest of it is 2 Kings. Here we go. You ready? <laughs> We're in. We are ready to go. 2 Kings, there's a lot that happens, um, but it does continue the saga of disobedience that we found in 1 Kings. Um, so today, what we're going to do, instead of going chapter by chapter, uh, I want to kind of look at it a little bit of a timeline and kind of give us a little bit broad spectrum, because the next two weeks, we're going to be in 1 Chronicles and 2 Chronicles. Those also fall in the same timeline. There's a different perspective. And so today, I'm going to try my best to give us a perspective that we can see some things maybe we can grab a hold of. Uh, I probably spent more time studying for this week than I have the weeks prior, um, which means there's been um, a lot of hours poured into this. Um, so I hope that it is a benefit to you today. Um, but the very first time this, uh, the Second Kings begins, again, with um, the, kind of just the continuing disobedience, it opens up. Um, right around Elijah's prophetic ministry coming to a close and about to jump into Elisha's. Uh, let, me, let me explain this chart for you just a little bit. So on this, um, on this chart, I've got dates over here on the side, right? And these dates, you don't have to read them, but they're, they go from, um, from 1051, which is when King Saul became the king of, of, of the people of God. That when it was a unified kingdom, there was King Saul, King David, and King Solomon, right? Those guys each reigned for 40 years. And there's, so there are times here, and then nine, in, in about 931 B.C. is whenever uh, the, the kingdom was split into Judah, the southern kingdom, Israel, the northern kingdom. you got King Rehoboam, who was the first king of Judah, and you've got King Jeroboam, the first king of Israel. And so I've tried to keep it to where we can understand, I can understand, it's not, not you guys, I'm the one that needs all the help, okay? Um, I'm trying to understand what dates and what times different kings served in different places. 20 kings in both kingdoms uh, throughout the reign, and most of them bad, evil kings. You will find that the, king of, the kingdom of Israel, the northern kingdom, didn't last as long. Samaria fell here in about 722 B.C., um, and that's whenever there, some other things happened. But just explaining this chart a little bit, I've got the kings listed. Uh, if they're written in purple, they're bad kings in Judah. If they're written in green, they're good kings of Judah. That's for my own, I like to color code things. The kings of Israel, all of them are bad, so they're all in black. Um, then I've got this, this over here. This is the prophets column. Prophets are all written in red. And so these are the times the prophets served. Once, a lot of times when we read our Bible, if we don't see what overlaps and what's going on, we miss some context, right? So I've got some context here for my prophets. You see, and I, you can't really see at the very bottom of this, but prophets start, start lining up. I mean, just one after the other after the other. Um, and then you see over here, I've got some notes in my column over here uh, about some things going on with the world. So a lot of this, like King of Assyria, the King of Babylon, different things that happen that give us some historical context. And what I noticed after I was laying all this out, now here's the thing. There are plenty of tools you can find that have all this stuff done for you. But I needed to see it with my own eyes, and I needed to be able to write out what I was looking for in this survey. And so when I was looking for them, these dates are not all exactly right, right? We don't know. Depending on what scholar you read, the dates are a couple, couple years different. Uh, some of them we don't know the dates of when somebody started, but we do know, like for instance, Isaiah. Um, we don't know when Isaiah's ministry actually fully ended, um, but we have an idea, a roundabout, because of the way it lines up in Scripture, the way he speaks to certain things. We know he speaks to certain things about Assyria, and so we know that he's, he's the, the prophet, hearing from God during the time of the Assyrians. So that's kind of, I just kind of explained this for you a little bit. And so as we jump in here, we're going to jump in at, um, if you remember the uh, 
first kings ended with a guy named Jehoshaphat, who was a good king in Judah, and he had Elijah as his right hand, right? He had Elijah the prophet in that same time frame. But you had Ahab that was in that, uh, that season. Ahab was a really bad dude. You remember Ahab married a girl named Jezebel, right? We talked about that. Elijah, Mount Carmel, prophets of Baal, Jezebel hates him, right? So that stuff has happened in 1 Kings. And now we're about to switch over to a new prophet in 2 Kings, even though the king of Judah is still going to hang around for a little bit longer um, through this time frame. So here's the way this works. In the first chapter of the book of 2 Kings, uh, Elijah denounces uh, the king that is on the throne, which is Ahaziah. Ahaziah, uh, what happens is Ahaziah falls through some lattice in his, in his uh, upper chamber, it says, which is probably on the roof, and so he, it was probably some rotten wood. He fell through it. When he fell through it, he became sick and ill, and so he went to figure out how he could be better. He was afraid. He was anxious because he had been hurt. Okay, that's just bottom line what happened. So he was sick, so he went and, and summoned um, the, uh, the, the consult of Beelzebub, which is the god of the flies. That's who Beelzebub is. And so he sent word, Beelzebub, the, the, Beelzebub is the, uh, the god of the flies, who was known as the god of medicine. Okay, so now he's a false god, he's not, he's not true, not real, but he was known as the god or the deity of medicine. And so there was a temple that was in fact erected and created um, in Ekron, and Ekron was, um, uh, and a lot of people would come to there because of this influence of this false god. Uh, we do know that it gets destroyed uh, later on. We will see that in um, a couple of different of the of the prophets, the writing prophets write about whenever it gets, so Amos writes about whenever it falls. Now again, we're up here, right, where um, Ahaziah is, and we know that a writing prophet, the writing prophets show up several years later, uh, nearly a hundred years later, and they write about the fall of this God's temple. Now, that may not matter to you in, in the room, but it matters in the way that the history of, of time experiences, especially for us, we step back and see that this king goes to a God that that temple has already been destroyed. Now, it wasn't in that time. But God doesn't see everything along the same timeline we do. Thank goodness. God sees he's already won every battle in our life. We haven't even faced some of the battles in our life yet. God has already taken care of it. So Ahaziah goes and sends counsel to do this. Elijah denounces him. Now here's what happens that's really cool. This may be one of the coolest stories of fire in all of the Old Testament, yet we don't talk about it. I can't remember... Anytime growing up as a kid, I remember Mount Carmel, right? I remember that battle with, with Ahab and Jezebel and all that. And I remember the chariot as he and Elijah outrunning the chariot, right? After that battle took place and the mud and all the rain and all, all. I remember all that. I don't ever remember this story being shared. Now, it may be because there's a lot of people dying again over and over again. Um, but these prophets, these, these, uh, the, the king sends these people over to Elijah. He doesn't like Elijah, not a big fan. And Elijah is just sitting on this mountaintop, and these guys show up, and they're like, hey, we need to do this. And he's like, no, I'm not doing this. And he sends fire and kills them. And then the king decides to send more. He sends another 50 guys. Elijah's like, no, not doing it. Fire come, kill 50 of them again. The king sends a third group. Now, if I'm a part of this third mission, I'm probably telling the king, I'm, I, I need to take a sick day, right? I'm not, I can't make it. Uh, there's been the two armies you sent before to this one dude sitting on this mountainside have been destroyed by fire from heaven. It's in chapter one, crazy story. And these third guys are like, they get to the, they get to the man of God and they're like, before you say anything, whoa, 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 whoa. We are big fans of you. We love you. Whatever you do, spare our lives. We know the last two groups that showed up they didn't, they didn't come back home. They got burned up. They were incinerated by fire. Crazy story. It's amazing and awesome uh, to see that that happens. But that's in chapter 1. Uh, then chapter 2, Elijah is then taken up into heaven. So that's the way that first or Second Kings begins. And we see what happens next is this man, Elisha. The Elisha transition happens. Now when Elisha takes uh, office as prophet... Um, there is a king, a new king in, um, in Israel 
um, named uh, Jehoram, and he is a, a bad king as well. And uh, Elisha is the one who, the first couple of chapters, in fact, of the book of 2 Kings is a lot about Elisha, a lot about his prophet's work, how he would, the, the miracles that were happening around him, just powerful, incredible move of God on his life. It was awesome. Um, and I, I encourage you to, to read through um, because there's, there's all these rebellions that take place. Elisha is the one that, that covers it all. He prays for it. Things happen. There's miracle after miracle after miracle through the first several chapters of 2 Kings. And then we get to, um, I'm going I'm to kind of skip through a lot of that because it's, um, it's, it's prophet work. And I'm going to try my best to keep it to king work today. Um, and so we get to chapter 9 and we see uh, a couple of things take place. Uh, chapter 9 begins with this guy named Jehu. Uh, Jehu uh, was a general of Ahab. Now Ahab, again, if you remember back, uh, Ahab was a really bad dude, right? Really bad. He was terrible. Um, his wife Jezebel, bad, bad woman. Now if you remember from last week, we talked about uh, Ahab's, Ahab's um, um, influence kept going, right? It, it, it lingered on for a couple of generations. And what that means is his, so Jehoshaphat, you remember Jehoshaphat, great king in, Israel, in, in Judah, good king, but he was kind of fascinated with Ahab and Jezebel because they had all this power. So he had this little bit of a fascination with him. So he ends up marrying one of his sons to, Jez, to Jezebel's and Ahab's daughter. Okay? He, he was like, we're going to build a family relations, right? We talked about that some last week. So what we see is, so that's going to linger in Judah a little bit. It's also going to be a little bit of a lingering thing into, um, uh, into Israel. Because what happens is Jehu is this gener- was a former general of Ahab. Um, he was secretly anointed by one of Elisha's young men. So Elisha sent this young man to Jehu and said, I want you to, um, uh, to, to anoint him king of Israel. Uh, he did it on purpose, and it was for God's purposes because... Um, he led, so Jehu led a, a, a military coup against Jezebel's government. Jezebel's government was set up because Ahab was like, he was, he was a, a, a strong, willing man, but Je- Jezebel was really the poison in that family. And so she had set up this government uh, through Ahab and through the, the, the kingdom, and it had just kind of lingered on for a few generations. So what Jehu does, which he almost seems to be a good king in Israel, it's close. Like he, he does these good things, and it was because Elisha said, the Lord has told me he's going to fix some problems in Israel to try to redeem Israel again, right? To try to fix Israel again. So Jehu comes in, leads this military coup, and there's assassinations, there's murder. There's all kinds. It's great stuff in the Bible. It is awesome. We wonder where Hollywood gets all of its gory stories from. I think they read the Kings because it's like this guy was awesome. Man, he, he uh, did all this. He took after, after he assassinated these government leaders, he then does a massacre of the worshipers of Baal, like big time. Like we're talking mass murder of all of these worshipers of Baal because they didn't align with God. And that was because of the fear of Elisha. Now, Elisha, we know if you read his stories, those first six, those six chapters from chapter two to chapter seven or eight or so, uh, what you'll see is Elisha was a man who wherever he went, man, stuff happened. Like he was, he was not a guy that was going to uh, shy away from anything. He was clear with the Lord. And God showed miracle after miracle. So when Jehu gets, uh, gets anointed king from one of Elisha's guys, he has this, this spiritual, almost divine um, uh, inspiration to go and do things. So he did some things to clean up. Now the problem is, it did not last very long. In fact, um, he, he, uh, he looked like the first promising king, but what happened is he fell into, if you, if you read through Jehu's life, he falls into almost the exact same policies of that very first king of Israel, that wicked king, uh, Jeroboam. Almost the same policies took place. 
and then they turn their back on God. It wasn't even like a, there wasn't even enough time for a reform or a reformation to happen. It was straight, I'm going to do this one thing and massacre these prophets of Baal and assassinate all these terrible governments, this terrible government leadership that's taking us away from God. And then next thing you know, he falls into the worldly practices of the first king. And again, we talked about last week, every king in Israel gets referred to from the Jeroboam thing, and every king in Judah got referred to as King David. Okay, so it was, that's what their mirror was. That's what their, um, you know, I get compared with my father all the time, even yesterday. Somebody said, oh, if you, you're, you're just like your dad in this. I'm like, okay, I appreciate that. And, but sometimes I don't want to be just like my dad in everything. Okay, I want to be myself. I want to be who I've, who I've been called to be. That's what I want. And so everybody, and so when you became a king in any of these nations, you were, you were uh, compared to either Jeroboam, Israel, bad king, or David, like great king, right? So um, we know that Jehu ended up falling into that and, not, and, and did not please God at all. It was bad, bad, bad. Then we see over in chapter 11... Um, some things, some other things take place. Again, chapters 9 and 10, uh, you can read about Jehu and his uh, great things. So it talks, sometimes in the kings, it talks about kings and you don't know which kingdom it's in, right? So you don't know, okay, is this a good one or a bad one? If it's in Israel, we know it's a bad king. If it's in Judah, could be a good king, could not be. So we jump into 11 and we see this guy named Joash. Joash uh, is, the king, is one of the kings of Judah. Now, what was going on in Judah? This is another thing happening in the timeline. Judah had, uh, I told you, Jehoshaphat was the good king in, um, in 1 Kings. And then his, now his kingdom, uh, he had married one of his sons to Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, right? Well, that poisoned Judah. That's what it did. Uh, in fact, the daughter's name was Atelia, and Athelia was um, uh, married to um, this guy, Joram. And as they got married, it was a uh, difficult, bad thing. And um, so they have sons. Well, what happened, uh, this Athelia lady was awful, bad. Um, and she was more, they, they, Scripture will refer to her as even more evil than her mother Jezebel. So that's, that's not a good thing to think on. Um, but when Joash's father died, now Joash, we see, if you see on the timeline, you'll see Joash is a, is a king in Judah. But before he became king in Judah, his, the, this woman who was the mother of, you know, and there, there's, the families are very large, and so a king would have multiple wives. Well, the, the main wife for her, his dad was Athelia. She goes in. This is what she does. She seizes the throne of Judah for just a season, and she massacred anybody in the family that would have a claim on it. So she goes in. She's evil. Like I told you, she's evil. She's Jezebel times two. Evil, evil, evil. So she goes in, and, um, and she, she massacres everybody. Well, um, there's a priest at the time. So I've got this priest over here. Um, uh, and he, in fact, it was his wife, his wife sees little Joash, and she sees this little kid, and she knows that this woman, Athelia, is going to come in and kill him. So what does this priest's wife do? She does what any mama would do. She goes and takes this baby and hides him. That's what she does. She takes the baby, she takes him into the priest's home, hides this baby in the temple. Do you know why? Because Athelia wasn't ever going into the temple. She's evil. She ain't doing it. She's not going into church, right? You know those people that are never going to grace the doors of a church because they're just evil? Like, that's who she was. So they take this young guy, uh, Joash, they bring him and hide him uh, because uh, they knew that if, if they didn't hide little Joash in the temple, he would die. Well, God had a plan to get through the line of David in the kings of Judah this is part of God's plan. He, he allowed this woman to do something that seemed illegal, right? It's not, shouldn't be legal to kidnap a child and hide them, even if it is a church thing. Like, that's probably going to put you in jail. But she does this, tells uh, her husband that, uh, hey, this is the guy. He's, he's the next king. He's the rightful king of Judah. Uh, but you know the evil that's taken the throne. But God is going to spare this little one's life, and we're going to keep him and put him in the throne. So, uh, chapter 11 tells us this awesome plan where the priest stages this rebellion. The priest, 
listen, sometimes I wish I was a priest in the Old Testament, okay? Because the priest puts this strategy and plan together to, um, to go up and kill her, like to kill this woman, this evil woman that is taking the throne unlawfully, uh, in, inappropriately, and she's slaughtered all of these men that were of the line of David. She's done bad things. So this priest says, no, 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 God's holy. His plan is going to take place. So he goes up, stages this rebellion, kills her, and then installs Joash as king. So as long as that priest was alive, here's something very interesting that I didn't even realize until I read through this. I thought Joash was just a good king. I thought, well, he's just a good king. Well, it comes to find out he was a good king as long as that priest was alive. As soon as that priest died, that king turned his back on the Lord. You know, I wonder sometimes how much of our faith is based on the people that are around us right, right now. I realize if you're around somebody that's very holy, you're more likely to live a holier life. You know, I tell my children all the time, and I, I know I was told all the time, be careful who you're friends with, right? Hang out with people that are doing things you want to end up doing. You hang out with wealthy people, you may turn out wealthy. If you hang out with, with bad people, you're going to turn out bad. If you hang out with great people of high character, you're probably going to turn out as a great person with high character because it's who you associate with in your life. What happened was Joash had this one guy that he was depending on. And this guy was a great guy. He was a great priest. I mean, he did things for the Lord, took steps of faith, awesome things. And while as long as he was alive and living, Joash had an accountability partner. Well, when his accountability partner died, Joash didn't replace his accountability partner. And so he ended up turning his back on the Lord. And as that happened, there were some problems that happened. Um, there's more of that story found in Second Chronicles, which we'll get there when we get to that part of the story. Um, but more of his story is found in Second Chronicles uh, rather than just in Second Kings, which is part of, I've pulled from a little bit of this, so this isn't just a Second Kings Bible study. I apologize if that's what you came for, um, but there's more to the story if you read through more of Scripture. Um, but uh, after, um, after Joash was king, then it talks about a guy named um, Uzziah. Uzziah uh, served in the same time as, as another guy, and whenever Uzziah took over, um, he, was, he was the grandson of Joash. So his, his grandfather was Joash. When I think about these things, you know, I think about Uzziah as an old guy. I just do. But he was a kid. He grew up. We all, we all were kids. All of us in this room were babies at one point. Meaning, all of us in this room, at one point or another, needed, we had a requirement for somebody else to keep us alive. Think about that for just a second. All of us. None of us are here. I, I can't stand the people that say they're self-made men. Like, you aren't a self-made man. You couldn't change your own diaper. You couldn't. None of us could, right? We had, we had to have, we required someone else to care for us. And because of that, we should always be a little bit humble in our minds because you didn't get to where you are based on your merits. I mean, you cried whenever you were hungry. And you say, well, I don't cry when I'm hungry. You did. We all did, right? We, we all cried whenever we had issues as a little baby, and we didn't even know it. We all needed somebody. Uzziah grew up. He was a, grand, he was a grandson of Joash, who was, again, great until he wasn't. Um, Uzziah same story in his life, this pattern. He was great until he wasn't. Uzziah was a man who, uh, in his reign, he was very capable. Um, he, was, uh, he recovered Judah, and he's one of the kings of Judah and one of the good ones. I've got him in green, even though towards the end of his life, he really should change to purple. But um, he, he was a guy who, in Judah, whenever he was there, he gained more property for the, the nation of Judah that had been, that had been captured he was a great strong king. He had a lot of wealth built around him, a lot of great things that had happened. A lot of the tribes around Judah at the time had, had come in and seized property. Uzziah was the king that came in and said, we're taking it back. I'm not going to allow, the, um, uh, I'm not gonna allow the, the, the enemy to win. And so while he was in office, he uh, led them to crush the Philistines. He fortified Jerusalem, the capital city. He did some great things. In fact, he even set up Judah stronger so that his, the neighboring, you know, Israel and Judah should have been friends, right? 
They're of the same family line. Same family line. But if you've ever had a brother or a sister, you know how easily enemies can change, right? Or friends or family can change into enemies. Like, my, I love my brother to death, but sometimes if he does dumb things, I just want to smack him. And it's not because I, don't, I didn't come from the same line as him. It's because he's doing dumb things. The two, the two nations uh, are, are one family, really, and eventually God's going to bring the family back together. But as we see this, there's, there's problems and there's civil war that's happening. Uzziah was the man in Judah that made them strong enough to not worry about Israel again. So Judah had two tribes. The northern kingdom of Israel had ten tribes, bigger and stronger. And Uzziah set up this strength in Jerusalem so that Israel would kind of keep its peace, right? We're going to keep the peace away from you. So while Uzziah was king, there was, there was strength, there was wealth, and there was peace that happened in the, in the nation of Judah. It was good things. And then we see he, he does something prideful and arrogant. He tried to go in to the temple and, and do the job of a priest. Well, Uzziah wasn't a priest. Uzziah was a king. He should not have taken on the authority and tried to go in and do something sacred or holy because that was the job of someone else. When he did, he ended up contracting leprosy. God struck him with leprosy because of his pride and his arrogance and him thinking, the things of God, I can step in and do anything I want. I have ultimate authority and power in every facet of life, which is not true. And so when Uzziah did that, he was given, God gave him leprosy. He tried to act as a priest, and God said that's not okay. One of the Mosaic laws said that you have to have this priestly line to do these priestly things. And Uzziah had the, had the mind because, how, why, and you say, well, how did that happen? He was this good king. Well, he got wealthy, he got powerful, he got influential, and guess what? It went to his head, just like all of us. If we get really wealthy, we think we can just buy our way out. If we get really powerful, we think we can just fight our way out. If we get really wise, we think we can just think our way out. There's very little humility in those things. And so Uzziah ended up doing that. Now, the beautiful thing about Uzziah's story is we find that the, a great prophet came out of that, um, and that was Isaiah. Because uh, Isaiah, in the year that Uzziah died, um, down here, then Isaiah started his ministry. But uh, I don't want to jump into that because that's going to skip a really nasty part about Israel. And when we can talk nasty about Israel and the kings, we need to see what it says. Um, there was this other king that showed up um, named Jeroboam II. Jeroboam II, um, he was a, uh, a bad dude, bad, bad, bad guy. The, problem, the biggest problem with Jeroboam II is that his reign lasted 41 years. He was the longest king in Israel, the longest reigning king in Israel. Most of the kings in Israel were just bam, 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 one after the other after the other, except for Jeroboam II. His, his reign was 41 years. As we look at his reign, there's some things that, that um, on the outside look fantastic. I mean, they look fantastic. Jeroboam II was a guy who uh, was kind of similar. So he was serving the same time Uzziah was serving. Okay, So in, in, these, in these two things, you see these two strong kingdoms. Now, Uzziah building strength, military power, wealth, Jeroboam II, also building strength, military power, and wealth. Gaining, gaining back lost victories, lost uh, wars, and lost battles. Jeroboam II had this great piece of strength to him. While he was in office, he took care of Syria. Syria was a massive threat to Israel. Massive threat to Israel. Um, so if you look at it from the outside, he's this powerful, strong, good leader. But within his, his reign and within his kingdom was vileness and, and ungodliness, wickedness, uh, just awful, awful, awful. In fact, here's what I'll say about Jeroboam II. If you want to know about how bad and how vile Jeroboam II's uh, kingdom was, go read. That's whenever the writing prophets started. So Amos was the first of the writing prophets for Israel, you can go read the book of Amos to see how bad Jeroboam's leadership really was. 
Okay, so there's a lot of pieces to this. There's a lot of moving parts to this. As I was preparing this today, I thought, man, this is, this is too hard and too much to go through. I probably should have done this over like a, a year, um, but we're, we're running through it. Let's keep going. Here we go. Um, and so if you, wonder, if you want to know how bad the inner workings of Jeroboam II were, go read the book of Amos. Or come back whenever we study the book of Amos together, and you'll hear about Jeroboam II specifically. Um, and because uh, Israel in this in this season, here, here's the big turning point in the northern kingdom. Okay, so when Jeroboam II was was leading, it was strong from the outside, right? They're gaining all this strength. While they were trying to build this strength outside, they were basically just holding on in the inside. So their their government structure, their uh, their their council, and all of those pieces and parts were falling apart. But nobody knew it because on the outside, they were, they were, as Jesus would call them, whitewashed tombs, right? On the outside, they looked strong and powerful and great. But the workings within were dangerous, vile, and corrupt. So because of that, there was a massive downfall in Jerusalem, in, fa- in, in uh, uh, Samaria, which was the northern kingdom. So b- because of this, this is where we will see um, just a few short time later... Uh, there's a couple of kings that come into there, but Assyria rises to power, and ultimately, because of Jeroboam II's negligence for what's going on within, because of that, Assyria will come in and take over. And, and no matter what king came in and tried to do anything, it didn't matter, because he did not pay attention. His 41 years, he did not care for the interior structure and process and systems that God wanted him to take care of. So there's a little bit of history for you. Um, if you go, uh, we're going to jump into chapter 16 now. Um, and chapter 16 is this guy uh, named Ahaz. Ahaz um, was a, a total fool. Uh, Ahaz was not uh, the smartest of guys. He was over in, uh, in Judah. And so we've jumped back to the southern kingdom now. So we're kind of going back and forth, right? It can get a little confusing. That's why I made it on this really easily readable chart <laughs> uh, that you can't see from where you are. But uh, Ahaz was a fool of a man. Uh, he had, listen, he had one of the greatest prophets of all time in his ear. He had Isaiah. Can you imagine having the wisdom of Isaiah in your council? Like, that would be awesome. A man who heard from the Lord so much and his prophecy so much was pointing to things that definitely happened like a man that was so in touch with the with the father in heaven that he he would get he had a direct line ahaz had isaiah right there in his council yet didn't listen to a word he said would not listen he fell to his own fear and his own pride here's what ahaz would do ultimately so every every king has their strengths right Every king also has their weaknesses. One of Ahaz's weaknesses, he was a man of fear, not a man of faith. And so I I think about that. Now, the way his actions are, he was afraid that he was going to get destroyed by the northern kingdom. He couldn't couldn't get it out of his head. He was always afraid that Israel was going to take him over. Now, here's the thing. If you look just, just less than 10 years after Ahaz is king, Israel ends up falling to Assyria. So this was never even a thing. He would tell, Isaiah would tell him, Isaiah would go to Ahaz and say, you don't need to worry about Israel. They're not going to harm you. And Ahaz would say, I hear what you're saying, but they're coming to get get us. And Isaiah's like, I'm telling you, the Lord has told me Israel is not going to bother you. And Ahaz saying, yeah, but my gut is telling me Israel's coming for me. Isaiah's like, Israel is about to fall to the hands of the Assyrians. You are not going to need to worry. And he's like, oh, I am worried bad. And it sounds almost comical hearing it, but that was his conversations with Isaiah. He's hearing what the prophet is saying, and yet he's afraid. He cannot get out of his mind. So he does something so foolish. Ahaz goes and talks to the king of Assyria and says... I want, you to, I want you to protect me against Israel. Can you imagine going to the enemy and saying, I need your protection because you're really strong? 
Isaiah the prophet has got to be bald at this point, pulling his hair out, because he's thinking, God is your protector. What are you doing going to the enemy? Why would you run to the enemy and ask for his strength when you have the strength of God? Like, what are you doing, Ahaz? And now, because of this, Ahaz, he, he signs this treaty, gets this, um, uh, gets this connection with the king of Assyria, and guess what? Assyria, just moments later, takes down Samaria, and we see the fall of Samaria, the northern kingdom. So, in, on, my, on my beautiful, well-designed chart up here that I've tried my best to make something happen, uh, what you'll find is the king of Assyria shows, in, shows up uh, in about 745, and his reign goes to a guy um, named uh, Shalamaneser, 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 something, uh, the fourth, or the fifth, and um, he, uh, uh, he was the one that ended up taking down the fall of Samaria. He's the one that Ahaz was like, I want to, I want to sign a treaty with you, I want you to protect me because my big brother to the north, I'm afraid of him. And then uh, the whole time, the prophet's saying, don't be afraid of him. And he is anyway. So um, we see that happen with Ahaz. Not only did he worry, um, he had asked Assyria for help, and, um, and he, was, he was just a struggle. Then we get over to chapter 18. And part of that, again, if you read chapter 17, what you'll find is like the story of the, the Hosea. He's the one in Israel who um, didn't, he didn't, basically he didn't pay homage and do the, pay tribute to the king of Assyria. That's when Assyria comes in and takes over. Um, so you can read that part, but uh, just for our sake today of the survey, um, the next thing that happens in chapter 18 is finally, finally another good king in Judah, Hezekiah. Hezekiah's story, amazing. It's incredible. I love Hezekiah's story throughout the, um, throughout the book of 2 Kings because um, he, he inherited, now I want you to think about this, he inherited all of Ahaz's, his father's mess, right? So Ahaz built treaties with the enemy, built his kingdom on fear and not faith. So Hezekiah takes, he inherits all that. So what does Hezekiah do? I love it. I love what Hezekiah does. Listen to what he does. He, um, uh, all the international issues around him. Samaria, by the way, his, the neighboring, the neighboring uh, Israelites, the, the Israel to the north had just been overthrown. Samaria had been taken over. Is, Assyria is now a mean, mean beast. Assyria is something that's going to take over. It is a world power. Now the Assyrians, and understand, Hezekiah is in Judah, the southern kingdom. Assyria has taken over the northern kingdom and made them all slaves. So now the people of God in the north are slaves to Assyria. Hezekiah steps into this in the southern kingdom. He steps into a hot mess. So he does what every godly leader should do. He takes in this and says, I'm going to reinstate the Passover. We hadn't even talked about the Passover in king after king after king. You know why that is? Because in 2 Chronicles chapter 30, it tells us it had been years since they had done the Passover, Passover feast. So here's what Hezekiah says. We need to go back. <laughs> this one chokes me up. We need to go back to our great deliverer. And we need to put our faith back in the one who shed the blood and who passed over all of us because we were found in the blood of the Lamb. That's what Hezekiah does with his kingdom. He tells everybody, we're having Passover. And they, most of these had not, don't even remember what Passover is, what Passover is about. It had been years and years and years of, of, of desperate pleas, of evil kings. And Hezekiah says, it's time that we get back to the one who saved us, back to the one who rescued us. Now imagine this. Hezekiah institutes the Passover. That sounds great. But remember, 10 tribes that experienced the Passover earlier, hundreds of years ago, 10 of the tribes are now enslaved in Assyria to the enemy. And Hezekiah says, I, I, I've got my two tribes here, and I'm going to say, whoever I can influence, we are going back to our, our, our absolute raw faith of who we are and who delivered us. Yeah, we've got our, our, our brothers in the north, those who were experienced 
passing through the Red Sea, those who experienced passing into the, over through the Jordan River into the Promised Land, those, those brothers of ours who were of the same faith as us are enslaved. And I don't want us to end up like them. I don't want us to forget the one who delivered us originally. He, it, was, it was amazing. He, he didn't, and I love how Hezekiah, um, as this great king, he didn't do what, the, what the, um, the prophets would do. He didn't do what, the, see, the prophets call people out, right? The prophets, nobody wants to hear from a prophet, like nobody. Everybody wants to hear from a shepherd. Everybody wants to hear from a pastor or from even a priest. Nobody wants to hear from a prophet because a prophet's like, this is wrong because you're wrong, <laughs> right? That's what a prophet says. Hezekiah doesn't go in and call anybody out. What he does is, I like to use the phrase, he doesn't call people out, he calls people up. He says, listen, the life we've been living is down in the pit. So what we're going to do is we're going to raise our gaze, we're going to look up into the heavens, and we're going to remember who is our deliverer. Because his father Ahaz said, I'm going to trust the enemy because he's powerful on earth to deliver us from our enemies. That's what his dad said. And Hezekiah said, I'm not trusting our enemies. Are you kidding me? I'm going to trust the one who delivered us from Egypt years and years, generations and generations ago. The one who is faithful because, and he did it all by himself. Hezekiah sees incredible, incredible victory. Um, he also did something um, that we all, we all you, you need to thank the Lord for King Hezekiah today. Because King Hezekiah one of the great feats of his ministry. He took and, and put together the Old Testament scriptures and, and preserved them for us. Hezekiah did that. In his kingdom, he took his crew and he said, these are the scriptures. We're going to put these together because God is that important to me that I want to make sure that when he's spoken to us, we have record of it because we are way too quick to forget I mean, you can think about what Hezekiah inherited. He inherited a kingdom that had forgotten the word of God. So Hezekiah says, we're going to jump and we're going to make sure that we do not forget God's words. So he put all of these people together and he canonized, he put together the Old Testament scriptures that we have. Now, obviously there wasn't all of it. He ended up even, Hezekiah wrote a couple of psalms. We've got some psalms that Hezekiah wrote. Of course he's going to write some psalms. Psalms are our expression back to the Lord, right? That's how we communicate with the Lord. Hezekiah says, I'm going to be sure I'm in constant communication with the Lord. And so he puts together his great, great words for us, the great word of God. Uh, one of the things um, to, to remember, in Hezekiah's reign, he had two big events. Okay, so his, his great accomplishment was the word of God that he, that he put together. And uh, by the way, if you keep reading the kings of Judah, I'm not sure how the word of God test, tested time. I, I don't know, because there was some evilness that came. There was some vileness that came. But see, God proved to us today, I mean, literally, he's proven to us today, it doesn't matter how many evil kings come, he's going to win. He's going to preserve. His word is going to stand the test of time. It doesn't matter how many evil kings try to throw this thing out. God's word is going to be true. It's, it's not going to return void in any of our lives. Every week that we go through God's word, I know this. I don't base my sermons on how good the altar call is. I don't. I base my sermon on how biblical is it. If it's biblical, then guess what? It's good. Now, sure, I can find better ways to explain it. I can find better ways to articulate it. I can find better ways to communicate it. But the truth of the matter is, if it's this, if it's this book, it's going to be good. I can set up and read this book word for word and close it and pray and leave, and it's good because the word is good. It's good. Hezekiah knew that. So he, he completed it for us. He put it together for us so that it could be used for generations to come. And Hezekiah's reasoning for that was a generation is way too quick to forget it. So let's make sure it's in everybody's hand. So how can we do that? But he had two great events that happened in his life. The first, he, he healed from a terminal illness. Uh, we see that in chapter 20 of, um, of 2 Kings, um, which is a good and bad thing if you think about it. So it added 15 years to his life. 
Wow, that's great. Unfortunately, in those 15 years, he had another son born, and that son ended up being the next king who, the Scripture says, was the most wicked king in all of Judah. Now, how the most wicked king comes from the best king, I don't know, but that's what happened. Uh, Manasseh was born um, in, in that 15 years he was alive. But the other thing that happened in chapter 19 that you'll see is the miraculous win over the Assyrians that came to take over Jerusalem. He had this stand. I'll let you go and read that one on your own. It's really good, uh, but it's found in, in chapter 19, uh, specifically verse 35. You know what? I'll go ahead and read it because it's really good because I, I don't want you to read it on your own and me not be there when you hear it. Um, but in uh, chapter 35, so, or chapter 19, uh, down in verse 35, Isaiah has prophesied to uh, the Sennacherib. So the guy, we're down to Sennacherib now. Um, Assyria thinks they're the boss. They think they just own the world. They think there's nothing that can stop us. Well, King Hezekiah says, you've not met my God. You took over Israel. Israel wasn't worshiping my God. My God has got you. My God has got this all taken care of. So down in verse 35, it says, And that night, so this is the, the armies of the Assyrians, the most powerful army in the whole world, the world power of the Assyrians, are standing outside Jerusalem's gates, Oh no, what are we going to do? Verse 35, That night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. <laughs> I love it. Like, that's fantastic. I, you know, whenever I read the scripture, I'm reminded if I fight battles, I got to put all kinds of sweat in it, all kinds of work in it, all kinds of... If the Lord fights battles... They just wake up and they realize they've lost. Like, that's how great our God is. Hezekiah was the guy in charge when that happened. You know, God's favor on this man was awesome. And I think it was because of his faithfulness. His faithfulness continued to lead his great, great people. Um, after Hezekiah, there were only five more kings uh, in, um, in Judah that were or after, um, after Manasseh was, uh, Manasseh was um, uh, the next one on the throne of David, and his, he was on the throne for 45 years. He was on the throne a long time, the longest king in Judah, um, which is not good because he was the worst. Um, we'll see over in 2 Kings 21, it says, uh, in fact, in, I'm going to read verses, verse 11. So in uh, 2 Kings 21, verse 11, it says this about Manasseh. Because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done these things more evil than all the Amorites did who were before him, and has made Judah also to sin with his idols. Um, you never, you, you know, if you're in the Bible, you don't want that to be your reputation. You really want to be more of the one who prayed and armies were destroyed, right? You don't want to be the one that uh, the Bible says because of his idols, he's caused the whole, the whole Judah, all of the nation of Judah to sin. It was a downward spiral um, right, before, right from then. Um, he was uh, taken prisoner by the Assyrians and carried away to Babylon. I think that's interesting to know that the Assyrians, I mean, they, they wake up dead, you know, in, in Hezekiah's reign. And now the next king, they just take him as a prisoner. Now, when he's in, when he's in prison, great things happen. When he's in prison, he, gets a, he, gets, he hears from the Lord. He gets a, a, an experience of the Lord, um, but it does not take very long. Um, and uh, he tries his best, but it was way too late in the game to change anything uh, in the nation when he comes back and assumes the throne. Um, the next one uh, that I want to talk about is Josiah. Josiah. Uh, the one that followed uh, Manasseh was his son Ammon. Uh, Ammon was the one that followed him. Tried to reinstate all the terrible things from his childhood. So Ammon was this guy who, he grew up in this evil house, and he was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring all the evilness. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, he lasted two years, um, and he died. He was, murdered. he was murdered in the palace by some of the servants. The guys that were supposed to support him uh, murdered him. So he was there two years. Then Joash comes, uh, who was the last one of actually the godly kings of, uh, of Judah. And so um, uh, Jeremiah, at this point um, in, the, in the scriptures, Jeremiah had now taken the place of, uh, of Isaiah. He was now the one. He was urging Josiah um, to, to reform the people of Judah. That's what he was doing. He was saying, set up, go back to Hezekiah's look. Look at Hezekiah, what he did. 
And so what did Joash do? Uh, uh, Joash, uh, Josiah, he ended up, um, he brought in the Passover. He did what, what Hezekiah did. He said, we're going to bring the Passover back. It had been a couple of years since the Passover had taken place because there was evil in Judah. So he reinstated it. He cleaned up the idols, called everybody up just like Hezekiah did. Um, and then it seems as though as the book comes to a close, prophet after prophet after prophet, word of God after word of God after word of God, but it was all too little, too late. Um, Josiah's death was a national tragedy. Um, he died in a battle, and um, it would give insight um, for what was to come because Babylon from that moment got stronger and stronger and stronger. And then there was a guy named Nebuchadnezzar that showed up. Nebuchadnezzar shows up, and you know the story, right? Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar and that fight that was going on, that battle that was going on. Um, beautiful scene as we, we will get to in the scriptures as we continue going. Um, but after, jo, after, after Josiah dies, um, there was his son, uh, Je, uh, Jehoiaz. Uh, he only served three months. And then Jehoiakim for 11 years. These guys were not good kings. Um, then Zedekiah, he was 21 when he became the last king of the Jews in the Old Testament. Um, he reigned 11 years, did some evil, and because of his evil, Jerusalem fell. And that's what we see in 2 Kings. Uh, disobedience after disobedience after disobedience. Now, I spent more time talking about the good things, right? Hezekiah, it was awesome. Like I, this is amazing. I, I like to pull out the good things um, of, of people that I can see in Scripture. There's also a lot of evil. And, and I hope that you can kind of see through this uh, today, and I know this is a lot today, and I know it was <laughs> it was a lot, I get it, um, and a lot of history. Uh, hopefully, uh, as we look into First Chronicles, so First and Second Kings is a perspective. First and Second Chronicles is another perspective of the same things that were going on. I'm very excited to look at First and Second Chronicles with you. First and Second Kings kind of depresses me, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, because we end and it's like, well, the northern kingdom fell because they were dumb. Southern kingdom fell they were dumb. They, they, they fell into the same things that the world was doing. Uh, they didn't listen to the Lord. They were doing evil. Because of that, there was some fall that took place. Um, it's hard to do a, a great survey of the kings because there is so much ground to cover. Um, but I want to encourage you if, you, if you continue back through these um, First and Second Chronicles as we go, we're going to talk about some of these same timelines and expound on them a little differently. So you'll be able to see some things in a little bit more of a richer um, uh, flavor, hopefully, um, as we continue to go. But um, I, I titled today, which I was waiting to tell you the title until the end, I titled today, you know, last week we titled it um, Strength to Struggle, because it started out in First Kings Strong, and then it, it turned into Struggle. Um, I titled this one Struggle to Sunset, because it was the sunset of the great nation of Israel um, and the nation of Judah and um, God's people. I mean, this was, now they're in slavery. They're in exile now. This is trouble now. So what is God going to do to redeem his people? What's God going to do? It looks like he's lost. Well, I've got good news. The Bible doesn't end there. Um, we are, we're now only, uh, um, let's see, how many pages am I in now? I'm out 366 pages into my Bible of 1,200 pages. So um, we're not even all the way through. The, we're not even halfway through the story yet. It gets really good. So I want to encourage you to come back next week as we jump into the next couple of books. Uh, continue praying as I uh, am, am seeking out how to really share um, these these surveys with you. It's a lot to uh, to get through, a lot to to work through, and all that. But um, anyway, so thank you, thank you for being here. Second uh, Kings from struggle to sunset. That's what you got today. Uh, let's pray, and then we will um, uh, we'll wrap up this morning. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. Um